there, dear listener. This is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on September 25th, 2017, in the cozy warmth of the Lido, which is on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations, or Vancouver, B.C. On that night, we had a great lineup of writers and comedians, including Fatima Dowry, Curtis LeBlanc, Jackie Hoffert, Vanny Chow, and Pat Kelly. Throughout this episode, you'll hear music from Kim Gray's new album, Compulsion, which you can find on iTunes or wherever else you get your music stuff. The track we've started the show with is titled P.I.G. And I am your host, Cole Nowicki. Let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. take it. And uh, you probably noticed, because of my backwards baseball cap and devil-may-care attitude, that, yeah, that I am a skateboarder. <laughs> sure. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I went skateboarding with my friends. Shout out skateboarding, shout out friends. And we went to the Mount Pleasant Skateboard Park. Thank you. I was waiting for that. Shout out Mount Pleasant Skateboard Park. And if you've never been to the Mount Pleasant Skateboard Park, yeah, people are excited about not being there. Um, If you've never been there, it's essentially just your run-of-the-mill everyday skate park, except for the fact that there is a roughly nine-foot chain-link fence that goes around the perimeter of it. Um, Yeah, totally. Um, which is apparently to keep out skateboarders who have been rolling around at all hours of the night. I'm not sure that has ever happened, but a neighbor seems to think so, so that's what it is. And when you're skateboarding at the Mount Pleasant Skateboard Park, it's almost a little demoralizing. You're in this cage, people are, are looking at you through the chain link. Yeah, it's just, it's just a little tough. Um, and it makes you think that the city considers us as skateboarders just animals. And I would have disagreed up until a couple of weeks ago when my friends and I were skateboarding there. But as we tried to enter the Mount Pleasant Skateboard Park, an animal got in our way. And just, I don't really know how well, if there's a, a better term, but. We tried to get into the park, and in our way was this just shitty kid. He's just like a bad kid. He's like a little dick. Um, and that kid inspired a story that I've written and I'm going to share with you tonight. It's about the kid. It's about some other things. But yeah, that kid is a fucking bastard. Oh, I'm going to start reading here in a second. And the story is called Short-Term Solution. So uh, you want to buy a scooter for two bucks? Skateboard for three? The freckled kid asks in a smarmy tone as he reached the skate park. He's blocked our way and in his hands are the wheeled offerings. He dangles them in front of us like pieces of meat. Behind him his friends snicker in a way that makes you want to push them over and give them all wedgies that they'll remember for the rest of their goddamn lives. The kind where any time the words wedgie or chafed are even uttered, they'll have a visceral flashback. But I don't, because I'm an adult and they are children, so I say, no thank you, but thank you for the kind offer, young gentleman. What the little prick doesn't know is that I don't mean any of it. He looks back at his friends who resume their rat-like giggling before moving out of the way. The freckled kid and his pals continue on, 
stopping at each person in the immediate vicinity to try and hawk his wares. People don't like it when you swear at kids, apparently. It's a quiet room. There's a small commotion at the periphery of the park. On a bench that beer cans have been swept off of to make way for another child. This one whimpering, holding his arm as a designated adult does his best to calm him. The kids beside me, clad in helmets and elbow pads with skateboards at their feet, gawk at the suffering. I asked him what happened. Yeah, he just tried to go down the quarter pipe and just kind of hung up and fell right to flat. I nod. The padded kids nod. We all understand. This is a thing that happens not uncommonly. It's a style of falling that one expects as a skateboarder but hopes never happens. It's quick and sneaky. Your skateboard catches the lip of the ramp as you're entering or re-entering it, and that's it. You don't know what's happened until it has, and you've met the pavement, and now you're on a bench. Your t-shirt soaking up spilled Heineken, and a designated adult is hovering over you, asking for deep breaths. In. And out. In. And out. In. And out. Did I get anyone to do it? Nice. Um, moving on. The hurt kid asks if he'd be all right for hockey practice on Thursday, and the designated adult nods encouragingly, ignoring the way the child's wrist grotesquely points away from the rest of his arm at, at the end of a serpentine curve. The hurt kid, in a state of shock, says, Okay, great. And apparently thinks that his linguini limb will be able to slap, snap a slap shot four days from now. He's decided to suspend his belief of the obvious, even though reality is hanging achingly from his elbow. Noticing this, I bring up to my friend how easy it is to lie to oneself as a short-term solution for a long-term issue. He disagrees, saying that telling hurt kid he'll be okay will only make the time until they reach the hospital more bearable for the child. But what about once they reach the hospital and he realizes he's been duped, I ask. Now he has to live with the fact that he won't be able to play hockey and that he's been lied to. My friend shakes his head. I then tell him about the old folks home my mom used to work at when I was hurt kid's age. How there was a small atrium with a sad looking indoor forest scene with trees that hunched over a winding, bubbling creek that was lined with plastic and powered by an electric motor. Occasionally when it rained, disappointed wedding parties would come under the shelter of the atrium's trees and stucco ceiling and take photos in it. The bride and groom would stand on the little bridge that spanned the creek, smiling with fingers intertwined, pretending that where they were, wasn't. Always visible in the photos, just over the shoulder of the best man or maid of honor, was Darlene Benyuk from room 107. The creek was just a few feet from her door, and until her death in May of 1999, she spent hours each day staring into its waters like narcissists. No one knew why, and no one dared roll her wheelchair out of the shot for fear of breaking whatever spell she was under. Those newlyweds of the past hastily chose to have their wedding photographs taken on Darlene's stoop instead of waiting for the rain to stop. This was another short-term solution. They, like her kid, believed a lie they told themselves because it was easier for them at the time. Now, forever on their mantles is a photo of the happiest day of their lives spent at the Lakelta Lodge Assisted Living Retirement Home, the specter of Darlene looming in the background. The designated adult comes over and asks if we know where Hurt Kid's board and scooter are. The padded kids shrug. On the other side of the park with his cronies in tow, Freckle Kid does his best carnival barker bit still on the hunt for a buyer, board and scooter in hand. It clicks and I point her towards the picnic tables outside of the skate park where Freckles is now haggling with a group of bocce players. <laughs> oh shit, he narked on him, one padded kid says to the other. I tell him that I'm not a narc, and even if I was, there's nothing wrong with narking because narcos are generally the good guys unless it's Denzel Washington and training day. <laughs> but they don't seem convinced. Why don't they care that Freckle Kid is only adding to Hurt Kid's misery by stealing his stuff? Why does Freckles think that it's okay? They're lying to themselves and ignoring be standard best practices of humanity in lieu of what? Because it's easier than just being honest? My friend says it's because they're just kids. 
that kids can be jerks sometimes and ask how much coffee I've had to drink today. I huff and tell them about the woman I see on my way to work on Wednesday mornings. How she holds a little spray bottle out in front of herself, spritzing the air with a solution that smells like lemon pledge and sulfur before she walks through it. Each Wednesday I get a face full of this concoction as I pass her on the sidewalk. Once I asked her what she was doing, she said she was just purifying each breath before it entered her lungs. I pointed to the sky, at that moment thick and orange with the smoke from a thousand forest fires, and asked her how she thinks a little spritzing is going to stop that smoke from reaching in through her nose and mouth and blacking in her innards. The atmosphere is not a goddamn cat scratching a chair leg. This was another short-term solution, another unhelpful invention devised to aid in avoiding the truth. My friend kicks out the ground before telling me that I sound like a bit of a dick. <laughs> and I laugh in the way that you do when you don't mean it before telling him that I'm not, in fact, a dick. Liars are dicks. I'm just honest. All right, thanks for listening to whatever that was. We're gonna go on with the show. First up is a very funny comedian who's been featured in the Winnipeg Comedy Festival, Seattle International Comedy Competition, and CBC's The Debaters. Here's the fantastic Fatima Dowry. Hey, hey everybody, I do jokes. That's what's happening now. 20% of you are into it. I'll turn the rest of you around. Guys, you'll never believe this. I saw like the craziest thing today. I saw, I was hanging around in Vancouver and I saw another black woman. <laughs> Which is crazy because I thought I was on shift in Vancouver today. Guess she didn't get the schedule, guys. <laughs> Turns out it was my mom. But there's not that many black people in Vancouver, right? And I think because of this, like I get some, I get some foot traffic from guys that wanna cross that off their bucket list. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it too, guys. <laughs> but I think it's cause you know what they say, right? <laughs> Once you go black, you realize it's exactly the same. <laughs> Nothing is different, right? It's not like there's a drum choir in the background. <laughs> Like, mama say, mama say, mama kusa. Mama say, mama say, mama kusa. Those are the two African dance moves I know. <laughs> uh, I share a little bit about me, a little bit about Fatim's. That's what I call myself. <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm what they call the fat. Hello. Do you feel how uncomfortable everyone just got in here? <laughs> That's what happens every time it comes up. People get super weird, you know? They're always like. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're not fat. <laughs> You're beautiful. <laughs> and then I'm always like, pretty sure I'm both. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I was almost just gonna go fuck myself. <laughs> but like, all I want in this world is just to be able to call myself fat and for everybody around me to just be okay with it, you know? That's all I want. Well, and, and maybe to not be fat. <laughs> and a piece of pie, guys. <laughs> maybe a shot of insulin, can't feel my feet. <laughs> it's diabetes, guys. <laughs> I don't have it yet, but it's coming for me. <laughs> but I thought about it, and I don't think I'm ever gonna really lose the weight because everyone always tells me, oh, you have such a pretty face. <laughs> so I like to think I'm like cold pizza, you know? Like I'm not as hot, but I'm still pizza. <laughs> still pizza, guys. <laughs> One time I told that joke and some guy in the audience like stood up and yelled, I love cold pizza. 
And I was like, yeah, <laughs> whoa, dude, chill. Then I was like, yeah, everyone loves cold pizza. <laughs> but like in the privacy of their home. Don't pretend like you guys don't love cold pizza. Wow, you guys got real sad on that last part there. <laughs> just chill, guys. Just pizza jokes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> more about me. I'm, uh, my family's Somalian. Hey. <laughs> it's not a lot of us here. <laughs> but like, I don't know about you guys, but like for me, the number one place in the world where I feel like the most confident is the shower. Just me, cool. <laughs> But like to me, it's the best place because no one can see me in there, right? It's just me in there. Well, actually, someone, someone can see me, but I'm always like, quit looking, Allah. <laughs> For those of you that are confused, <laughs> I was raised Muslim, so Allah is Muslim for God. <laughs> Or terrorists for excuse. <laughs> Come on, guys. If you let that joke bomb, they win. <laughs> Bet you didn't think you'd laugh at a terrorist joke. <laughs> but my family is from Somalia, and whenever anybody finds out, they ask me, like, the weirdest questions. <laughs> One of the ones that I get all the time is, like, what do you guys eat? Like, what's your national dish? <laughs> Like, no one is ever ready for the answer. <laughs> because Somalia, a country in Africa, our national dish is spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, look it up, it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> no one ever believes me, right? Because they're like, um, a pasta's an Italian tradition. <laughs> and they're ex like expecting me to say something gross, like pickled goat elbow. <laughs> Right? But let me explain. It's because back in 1892, Italy invaded Somalia and they brought pasta. <laughs> and then we Somalians in our tradition, uh, we, we hijacked their boats in Chef Boyardee. <laughs> and we were like, look at me, look at me. I'm the Italian now. You guys, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I look like it, but I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> Love me some comic books. <laughs> Do you guys like comic books? You guys like comic books? That's enough people for me to tell this joke. <laughs> But I love comic books. I think it's great that there's like big superhero movies now like Batman and Iron Man and Thor and stuff like that. But I think it's so weird that nerds are like perfectly okay with like superpowers and armored suits and like magical rainbow bridges to other dimensions. But if you cast just one black guy into a white character's role, that's where these nerds draw the line, guys. <laughs> They're like, this changes everything! Up is down, DC is Marvel, Kraft Dinner microwaves us. I like your, oh! <laughs> Y'all need to be on her energy level. <laughs> but like, by round of applause, who here has seen the movie Thor? Have you guys seen the movie Thor? Nice, nice. Solid comic crew. <laughs> But in that movie, there's this character named Heimdall who's like the gatekeeper of the Bifrost, you know, that like big fancy rainbow bridge. But uh, he was cast, he was cast as Idris Elba. Idris Elba played him. <laughs> Fucking love Idris Elba. He's great in The Wire and Luther and everything he does. <laughs> But when this was announced, nerds all around the world just like fucking lost their shit, guys. They're like, Heimdall can't be black. All the other gods are white. Okay. And then when like you when you question them further, they'd be like, oh, it's not about his race. It's purely an aesthetic thing. Phew, guys. <laughs> These nerds aren't racist. They just don't like how black he looks. 
And like, why does the character, the color of the actor's skin have like any effect on the character itself, right? Do they just like expect Heimdall to just like whip the nanes like everywhere he goes? <laughs> Like, he's just going to start rapping everything he says, like, you're my main man, Thor. Your pop said no, the Bifrost is close, so you gots to go. <laughs> Guys, funny enough, um, Idris Elba is dating my sister. <laughs> Weird, but true. It's true, guys. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but it's real. Uh... Yeah, he's basically my brother now. Can you imagine you woke up tomorrow and a celebrity is your brother? <laughs> I feel like this just shocked you instead of making you laugh. <laughs> Guys, uh, uh, I saw a crazy thing like last week. I saw like a car that was playing like super loud rap music, but the music didn't match the car. <laughs> because the car was a Toyota Prius <laughs> with spinning rims and tinted windows, which I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> to me, that's like bedazzling your recycling bin. <laughs> that's like putting a spoiler on your solar panel, why? <laughs> I think whoever was driving just must have been thinking, yo, I gotta stay gangster while being environmentally conscious, motherfucker. I'm smoking green while going green. <laughs> Guys, uh, maybe I'll leave you with uh, more jokes. <laughs> more punchy ones. <laughs> hey. My family has like uh, the great greatest tradition. Like we give everyone the best nicknames. Like my, my nickname growing up had to do with the way I walked. I didn't swing my arms like a normal person. <laughs> so I walked with razor straight arms like a freaking weirdo every day of my life. Just like <laughs> And so my family very aptly named me uh, in Somali, Ninbasita, or translated to English, Man carrying heavy bags. <laughs> I guess they thought lady carrying heavy bags wasn't mean enough. <laughs> but my sister's nickname growing up, my sister's nickname was so much worse. Her nickname growing up was Futader in Somali, or translated to English, long butt. <laughs> To be fair, her butt is long. But it was worse, because every time my family would see her, they'd sing this rhyme that like sounded nice, but in my family's tradition of assholery, not nice. <laughs> but I'll sing it first in Somali. It goes like, Hibo futo dere yaku arose chinni. Do you see how sweet it sounds? It's like sugar off the tongue. But then you hear the English translation, which is, Hebo with the long butt, who did you marry the devil? <laughs> Thank you guys so much, you've been a great town. Up next is Curtis LeBlanc. His poetry won the Reader's Choice Award and ARC's Poem of the Year competition in 2016. He's been shortlisted for the Wallace Poetry Prize and CV2's Young Buck Poetry Prize. And his first full-length collection, Little Wild, is forthcoming from Nightwood Editions in 2018. And now, here he is, live from the Lido, Curtis LeBlanc. Hello. No one ever says hi back. I like that. Oh, pretty good. I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks. Sociables. I could have sworn I saw you, Mitch. Head shaved for summer's big encore, September long. Riding the gummy wheels of your pool board down Fair Oaks Drive to Marina's house. Relish on your tank top, mustard dusting the corners of your mouth. Arms tan the color of iced tea and a burn on your hand from when you were given to dreams with the roach in your mouth. 
You're a boy who wanted nothing more than to play Red Hot Chili Peppers on the bass guitar. We never let you. Stuck on the tired lines of boxcar and brown-eyed girl. And on your second shift, when the forklift tipped on a hairpin turn, you were riding the side like a boy might do. Mitch, you died as you lived, rolling a load on four wheels with no knowledge of the purpose. You, a kid crushed breathless in the warehouse of home hardware, working to afford chucks and spliffs in old English 800. But where we're from is like any place else. You've got to work to go to Peach Fest, smoke captains, play sociables. But was it enough? All the times we sat around a coffee table, drawing up the rules. Boys drink, girls drink, beer fetcher, box head and all of us promising we wouldn't break the circle. Thank you. Last time I read, I printed all of my poems off in uh, size 10 Times New Roman font, seriously overestimating my ability to see both in dim lighting and after a couple pops. So. This time I've gone with 14, which means I brought my book up here, but then I forgot that I had, a, I had printed all these. Uh, I had printed them all off anyways, just to be safe. In recognition of a quarter century of contribution to UMA. They gave him a bad watercolor. Two men surveying a dirt road flanked by standing water and train tracks stretched thin to three red grain elevators, no longer in operation. The men stand behind their yellow tripods, measuring the distance between something and nothing. It is almost winter. Everything is dead or dying. The trees hold no leaves, the canola barbered down to stubble. For 25 years, my father has been assessing, with the precision of a person born into nothing, the unpaved road to something. I have watched him mark the milestones like the centimeter lines on a ruler, kneeling at the edge of the teak coffee table, raising the orange cat high above his split-level empire of Berber carpet and second-hand furniture. So I love this series, and I'm super, super excited to be to be reading here tonight. So thanks so much to Cole and to all the other readers and performers, and thanks so much to the Lido, where I, I visit often, even when it's not fine. That's really cool to be reading with all of you tonight, especially Benny, uh, Rahila's Ghost Press, who I help out with. Um, I help run with my partner, and a lot of great people are releasing uh, Benny's uh, first chapbook. Um, later on uh, next month, so it's gonna be, it's gonna be, it's great. And you sh you're all gonna enjoy Benny's reading a lot. <laughs> no pressure, Benny, wherever you are. <laughs> Looking for your hat. <laughs> Public works. My father has always found his worth in work. Each morning of that wasted summer, the first few minutes of dry light shared at the kitchen counter over instant black coffee and peanut butter toast. He had his, I had mine, we did not say much. After, I drove to the public works yard, stripped down to briefs, climbed into bright orange coveralls caked in mud, and joined the men from dig crew to pilot half-ton trucks packed with acetylene up and down the city's reconstructed streets. I was some kind of sick at 19, head going south to badlands, rippling with pseudo-hallucinations of water bugs and sky. Pulled over when they became too much for my kid mine. Breathed into plastic bags, blotted water from my bloodshot eyes. I told no one about the trails of radio color each time I turned my head. Phosphorescent halos around every light. Unfit, I taxied those tanks of fire around. Guided backhoes down past electrical lines and gas pipes. Torched, rusted nuts and bolts off hydrant stands 12 feet beneath my other life. 
I dug graves in pristine ground, dangled from a yellow tether down narrow sewer shafts with a bucket and a beeper to detect the stink damp gas they say will choke a young man quicker. I poured chemicals in sewage grates to kill the roots that clogged the line, wondering what it might be like to be cleaned of life inside. I kept at it for the money, but also as a duty to the man who sat across from me each morning, whose mechanical pride for me might leak a steady song if I ever quit working. I had come to understand the part of him that feared his son, the kind of man I might become as I grew taller and thicker than him, that uncertainty in raising a birch tree, whose roots could be spreading anywhere, taking hold of anything underneath. Getting hitched, Slave Lake. I nearly lost my right foot to a golf cart incident. Matthew driving up the wheelchair ramp of the winks with my legs sticking out the side door as it clacked like the ticker of a spin wheel from slat to white wooden slat. That was a new one. Everyone was like, what? Is it over? You would know it was over if you could see the page like I can. <laughs> Anyways, I have, a, I have a few chapbooks left for sale. Anne Struther Press put out my chapbook um, in January, and I've got a few left, and I want to get rid of them. So, I mean, they're like 10 bucks, or pay what you can, or, you know, if you want one, just come find me after the show. Plug over. You have to do that when you're a poet, because every $10 counts. <laughs> Still trying to pay off my student loans. I haven't even started, so. Yeah, it's gonna be a long haul. Birding in the glass age of isolation. This is my last one, thank you very much. Whoever said kill to a young boy first is probably to blame for the shotgun settled on my shoulder, barrel pointed to the sky above my back. Earlier, we blasted a robin's egg blue recliner to strips waiting on breakfast. Hangover sweats in the bottoms of our gumboots. We're set to shoot ourselves a grouse, haven't even seen one yet. But we heard how the blood dripped from the chin of Dan's white bijon frise after it got into the entrails of a fresh roadside kill near the neighbor's barbed wire fence. Nick, camera hung like a black kettlebell around his neck, tells me that the two best birders in Edmonton never leave their minivan. Not until a blue-winged warbler or a cattle egret has been identified as perching on a branch. We bushwhack into Crown Land at the south edge of Jared's Flatwoods Ranch. In the bare wafer board shack, German pulp westerns, the glass bees by Ernst Junger, interspersed with smut on the shelves of tenants past. Man-made pawn dyed a deep green to keep algae from blooming, escaped rabbits remembered by fur caught in the chicken wire of their cages. Smartphone held high, Nick repeats a mating song with his $2 bird calls app. Be still, he says, and listen for the clack, 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 clack. Spruce grouse will be on the forest bed, but taste like the bitter red buds they're named for. Ruffies with their rumpled black necks gorge themselves on clover and make the best snack. I'm out of focus again, feeling it again, a fugue I haven't felt since I smoked sage of the diviners in undergrad, lost another summer to derealization in my first clean white hard hat. The trees are a, thick mesh, are a thick mesh screen, the sky a steep slide to vertigo, and I feel it's best I shut my mouth rather than explain this gun in hand. Jared raises his twenty-two, takes a crack at another squirrel to sell to the man who makes keychains from their tails, but misses high again. It's almost noon. I let a hair off easy. We're the renewed embodiment of that old debate. Shoot to miss or kill or capture in a high-res image file format and what makes who the better man. The sun slips behind low clouds and I am no cooler for it. I hear the love songs of smaller creatures, clear as the day they were recorded, sung again from the phone speaker's shallow diaphragm. 
I want to lie down on hard ground, rest my medicated head on lichen-cuffed roots, and list all the times I allowed myself to want without trying. I want to try again. Thank you so much. Now we have Jackie Hoffert, another talented comedian who hosts Sad Mag Sad Comedy Showcases, as well as Foxhole Comedy in the Projection Room at the Fox Cabaret. Vancouver's only comedy room where women, people of color, and queer folks are the majority of the performers every time, every Wednesday. Here's Jackie Hoffert. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I wasn't ready. My sho- I stepped on my shoelace, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to bend over and do my shoelace on. <laughs> it was very emotional over there for just a second. Oh, this was the outfit I planned when it was cold earlier today. Um, am I nailing the dress code, though? Yes. Oh, my leggings are rolled up. Gay, goth, leisure. (sighs) Sorry, I'm like sweaty and hot, but I am not going to strip for you. Um, I did get the memo about hats, though. Cheers, Cole. Thank you. Um, (laughs) I was just traveling. Um, I went to... I went to um, Toronto this weekend to meet my fiance's mother for the first time. Whoa, wow, I know. Yeah, at first I was like, uh, oh, parents love me. (laughs) I'll be fine. Um, But then I realized like, okay, so we got engaged like a year ago and we haven't, because she lives in Ontario and oh. Anyway, so, um, you know, she was a little like, who is this person? (laughs) And what's her deal? (laughs) Uh, And I was like, surprisingly, I've never been in the situation of meeting my fiance's mother before. Uh, The stakes are really high, it turns out. She was a little wary, and I wasn't used to that. Um, I guess people don't take me seriously normally, and that's fine. But um, uh, (laughs) then I realized, like, oh, if I had a daughter, and she married, or she got engaged to someone I'd never met, and then cut all her hair off and like, got like eight more tattoos, I'd be like, what's her deal? Um, yeah, but uh, it went fine. Um, that's the whole thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I went to the keg. I haven't been to the keg in so long. Uh, it's still very expensive, uh, but thankfully I did not have to pay. Yes, family. Um, no, it was cool, it was cool. Um, but I was on the plane, and what happens to me a lot on the plane and in public in general is that people don't know how to gender me. And so there are, especially on planes, because usually I'm like hiding <laughs> from everyone and everything, uh, just trying to cocoon into an inner world that is not thinking about being on a bus in the sky. And um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so sometimes I get sirred, which is fine. I don't mind. Um, I, we're all on various types of spectrums. Um, and um, as am I. And um, yeah, the thing that happened, though, is that I was... So the stewardess person, air waitress, what are they called? Um, the, uh, she was like... Uh, sir? Like, in terms of, like, do you want a drink or whatever? (laughs) Unfortunately, whatever, I don't know why, but my gut reaction was to just go like this. (laughs) Which, you know, (laughs) like, (laughs) I don't get to, like, instrumentalize my breasts that often, (laughs) but, um, or, like, weaponize them, I guess you could say, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, the message came across. Uh, she was like, oh, pardon me. And I'm like, it's fine. I'll have a Coke. I really wanted a free drink, to be honest. Like, I feel like you should get a free drink every time you have an awkward gender moment or whatever. Um, which also reminds me today, I feel like I had, a, I had one of those moments. This question is for 
women or people who are often identified as women by other people. Um, <laughs> have you ever been told you're uh, like not a team player <laughs> or that you need to like work on your tone? <laughs> um, I had that today from, yeah, I got told that I'm like, need to tone it down a little and be a little more like team oriented. And then I was like, okay, it's true. Like, I don't really give a fuck about most people's like feelings or whatever, but um, yeah, but yeah, but then I thought like, then I was like, fuck, they wouldn't say this to a male colleague. And then I was like, okay, I think if you could, if you had to give a woman a bonus in order to talk about her tone, maybe we'd get to pay equity. Maybe. Um, it's not a real joke. It just actually happened to me today, and I'm trying not to be upset about it. It's all. Um, if you're a man in your 40s or older, like, just remember that like what feels like criticism is just a human being a person. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, jokes. It's time for jokes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, speaking of eye contact, though, I feel like lots of people have been making eye contact with me in here, and I just want to say I don't understand why. <laughs> um, it's weird, but it's fine. Um, it made me think, like, first of all, I'm like, am I, like, East Broadway famous? Like, is that what, like, do you recognize me from the Facebook event? Or, like... Um, probably not, because it's different glasses and I'm wearing a hat, so it's basically I'm a different person, but um, <laughs> it reminded me of when I used to work on film sets and I saw Ryan Reynolds um, on set, and <laughs> like he was just meeting his wife who was working on the movie I was on. And, but you know when you see someone famous and you don't realize that you don't know them because they're not your friend, but you just think you know them because they're a person you recognize? So he walked by and I was like, hey. And he was like, hey. And then, you know, and then I, like, he left and I was like, <laughs> like that was so embarrassing. I don't know you. Um, but, you know, he gets that all the time probably. So I'm not saying I'm Ryan Reynolds, but I'm like, Maybe I'm the Ryan Reynolds of like the Lido or Lido or whatever the fuck this place is called. <laughs> um, just kidding. I used to live like two blocks from here like a really long time ago and I really wish this place was not a deli or a closed down whatever it was because <laughs> this is a beautiful place. Also, can I get married here? Let's have a conversation about that. I'm Jackie Hofford, thank you. Our next storyteller is Benny Chow, who in their own words is a crybaby whose first ever poetry collection, Bad Egg, will soon be published by Rahila's Ghost Press. They are fresh out of university and ready to fight everyone ever. Get ready for Benny Chow. team how's everyone doing tonight <laughs> um, I had a really bad day today like nothing went wrong I just wanted to die like it was like I went to work and it was fine and then I got I mean I just graduated in like May and I just got like my I was working for three months I work at an engineering firm it's really shitty but it's fine um, and I just got my letter that was like congratulations you finished your probationary period you can work here for longer and it was like that's good, like I get a raise, it's good. I just like, I got the letter and I was like, I still wanna die, but it's fine. I've had a good evening, like I've had a really good evening. Um, yeah, uh, fine is, what is this, storytelling and otherwise. I'm doing otherwise, cause I'm garbage at narrative. Yes. <laughs> Shouts out, can't write a plot for my life. Okay, I'm reading poetry. Um, yeah, this first poem is about Ben Stiller because I hate him. <laughs> And <laughs> this poem was published by Room Magazine in like December of last year. So it's called Ben Stiller's Face Gives Me Mild Anxiety. <laughs> the term accessory organ seems like the stuff of nightmares, but it's real. I saw it in Paige's anatomy textbook. Tongue, teeth, gallbladder, how many body parts can I remove before I start to feel empty? I could fill my newly vacated body with meaningful things like God and schoolwork and kale salad. Maybe she's born with it, maybe fuck off. 
What is it called when your face looks like it's really just made of a rubber mask? What is it called when you're, okay, I'm sorry. I need to move this mic, like, okay, okay. Sorry about that, I'm gonna continue. What is it called when your face looks like it's really just a rubber mask? What is it called when your features shift more and more to the right as you age? Are these two things related? Next time I see Paige, remind me to ask her. One time on a plane, I watched six different people watch that movie where Ben Stiller goes to Iceland and has a meaningful time. <laughs> I pretended like they were all in a Ben Stiller fan club founded by me. I would pull out all my teeth and hand one to each member as a symbol of our unity. I would tell them that each tooth is a piece of Ben Stiller, but only together can we have a meaningful time. Do we deserve to be half full or even half empty? No matter how many people are inside, a plane is always hollow. No matter how many people are inside a plane, it always seems like I'm the only goddamn person who has a problem with Ben Stiller's face. We are not on our way to Iceland, but we can pretend. After all, an airplane heading anywhere feels exactly the same as an airplane heading anywhere else. Still, air fills my mouth. Empty hands close around my gritted teeth. Ben Stiller's face shines like a beacon of hope. Thank you. Um, this next poem, like, isn't funny at all, so, like, sorry to disappoint, but it's called Final Girl, and it starts with, like, a quotation from the Wikipedia page for Final Girl, and it goes, The final girl is a trope in horror films, particularly slasher films. It refers to the last woman alive to confront the killer, ostensibly the one left to tell the story. And this is about, like, three of my best friends. None of them are here tonight. It's fine. Um, uh, part one, the trope. Daphne refills our soap dispenser this morning when I'm sleeping. The soap she buys is bright red, reminds me of jewels of blood. I pump some onto my hand. I think about Lady Macbeth. I smell pomegranates. Part two, the last woman alive. Nadia sends me a photo of sunflowers, texts me, look, I saw you on my way to work this morning. I don't respond. It's not that I don't love her, it's just that I'm too fucking tired. I print the photo out during my break at work. I carry it around with me for the rest of the day. Part three, confronting the killer. I go over to Mariah's house. We don't say a single word to each other, just sip tea in silence. We hold hands. I braid her long hair. It's the exact color of hazelnut shells. Before I go, she tells me very quietly, when you're small, everything feels new, even falling. I let myself out of the house in the smallest way I can, run all the way to the bus stop. Part four, telling the story. When I get home, I eat a pink lady apple. It tastes of honey, of nail polish. Imagine that in a pie. Knife cuts the smooth crust, the red comes spilling out. Okay, so I think Cole mentioned that I have a chat book coming out with Rahila's Ghost. They're awesome. Curtis is my editor in chief, so shout out. So is that what you are? Okay, managing editor is his title, but. Shouts out to Curtis. So I think I'm going to read two pieces from my chapbook if I can find the document for that. Hang tight, everyone. Oh, this is okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, this is the first poem in my book, I guess, and it's called Dear God, Can I Have a Designer Purse? Bugs have no concept of personal space. What's up, sorry, what's up with that? My dick could touch your dick and it would just be chill, imagine. If I was a bug, I would be loud and annoying like a cicada, except my bug noise would sound like ka-ching, ka-ching, and not in a cool way like the MIA song. I would be the cicada's rich and tacky cousin, but I'd have a huge bug dick. You know how people look like tiny bugs from tall buildings? Well, do you think my boyfriend's mom, sorry, do you think if my boyfriend's mom saw us touching dicks from the CN Tower, she would be okay with that? Would she even notice or would she be into that? Would she want to squish my huge bug dick into mush? Hello, God, yes. Hi, it's me. You probably don't, can't tell me apart from the other bugs, but I just want to say I think you're okay. Even if I've asked you for a Marc Jacobs bag a trillion times and you've never delivered, thanks anyways from me and my huge bug dick. 
Um, I'm gonna read one more poem for you, I think. I think, but we'll see. We'll see how I feel about it. Okay, okay, hang on, hang on. Uh, I accidentally exited the document, oh my God. I thought that reading off of Google Docs was like a good idea. It's not, like it's, it's not. Okay, I can't find the document, so I'll tell you a story and then I'll read one more poem, I think. Because it's storytelling and I felt bad because I was like, I feel like I should be telling a story, but I can't, I don't, I don't write fiction, but I decided, I promised people on Facebook that I would tell the story about the time that uh, Nathan Fillion thought that I was trying to poison him. Um, if you aren't familiar with Nathan Fillion, he's like the daddy of modern science fiction. He's like in, he's like the, I'm tangled in this microphone. He's like the main guy in Firefly and like, I don't even know what the hell else he does. Anyways, so. A couple of months ago, I had just gotten off work. It was a long day. It's like 5 p.m. So it's like early in terms of like evening, but like in terms of day, it was like getting late. Um, so I just got off work. I'm with two of my friends. We ended up at this bar that I don't even know what it's called. I think it's called like the Black Frog. It's by in Gastown. So we're sitting there. Okay, people like the Black Frog. It was a good experience. I just had never been there. So I'm there. I order a lasagna, like... I'm at a bar, I order a lasagna, and I order an apple juice, because that's how fucking tired I am. Like, I'm here at this bar, and I like I looked at the waitress, and I was like, your contour is beautiful, what do you use? And she's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, just, okay, I want an apple juice. She gives me this like look, like she's like, okay. So anyways, she brings me my apple juice, I'm sipping on my apple juice. I look up, and fucking Nathan Fillion walks into the bar, and I'm like, I see. <laughs> So, like, my friend is like, you have to buy him a drink. Like, you grew up watching this man on the TV. And I'm like, you know what, that's fair, that's fair. So I call the waitress over and I'm like, Nathan Fillion is in this bar? And she goes, who's that? And I'm like, he's an actor? And she was like, I don't know who that is. So I show, like, I, I Google Nathan Fillion, I show her a picture. She's like, I don't know this man. And I was like, he's like right behind this table. Like he's over there. Do you see him? She like peeks and she's like, yeah, I don't think that's him. And I was like, it's fine. It was him. We figured it out. And I'm like, I would like to send him a drink. And she's like, okay, what do you want to send him? And I was like, an apple juice. <laughs> and she's just, she's just fucking, she's so done with me at this point. She just like looks at me and is like, okay, do you want to deliver it to him? And I was like, oh, fuck no. Like, I want you to bring it to him and be like, a fan has sent you an apple juice at this bar. And, like, she's, she's so done with me. And I, like, I kind of feel bad, but also, like, I don't at all. She brings him the apple juice, and she's like, someone has sent you this drink. And he's like, what is this? And she's like, it's an apple juice. And he just looks at it with contempt and, like, just takes it and puts it in, like, the corner of, of his table. And he's like, is it poisoned? And the waitress is like, no, I, I just, it's fine. Anyways, yeah, that wasn't a good story. I told you, bad at narrative. But Nathan Fillion has a deep mistrust for me. And that's what's important. That's the takeaway. Okay, um, I'm going to read this poem, and it's, I think I'm, am I out of time? Oh my god. Okay, okay, I'm going to read one more poem then. It's called Advice or Maybe Just Some Ideas. And this is a Twitter poem, so what I did was like, Twitter has a very excellent advanced search function. Like you can search somebody's Twitter for like a single word and like it'll show up every tweet that they've ever tweeted with that word. It's incredible for lurking. But I did this to myself and I searched just like every time I typed idea colon and then I, I made a poem out of it. So that's what this is. Advice or maybe just some ideas. Instead of sleeping, dick around on the internet for six hours a night. You'll feel just as rested. Instead of showering, don't. Your tears are enough to cleanse your body. <laughs> Dye your hair the color of your nipples. You already know that color looks nice on you. <laughs> Instead of sex, cry with someone for an hour every night. Instead of sex, call your mom and tell her that you love her. Instead of wearing pants, don't wear pants. People are judging you anyways. Instead of eating, reflect on the fact that you are insignificant and unimportant in the grand scheme of things three times a day. 
instead of calling your ex and telling them how much you miss them and still love them, understand that that's selfish of you. Instead, call your best friend, tell them they're amazing, and without them, you wouldn't be so full of light in this dark world. No matter how many times you don't respond to a text or forget to eat a meal or call in sick just to sleep in, try to love yourself. You owe yourself that much. Thank you very much, everyone. Our final storyteller is one-third of CBC's This Is That, one-third the author of This Is That, Travel Guide to Canada, and 100% a really nice guy who got off an airplane and came straight to the show, which is some serious commitment that's much appreciated. Here's Pat Kelly. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Good. I'm just going to get that started. I, uh, the reason why Cole is asking if I was here, I um, just, uh, this sounds like such a cliched comedy thing to say, I just flew in from Los Angeles, um, literally like uh, 15 minutes ago. But guys, a couple of firsts on this plane. Um, the guy next to me on the flight coming up here made an entire fucking sandwich, like assembled a sandwich. He had everything with him. The bun, like nine Tupperwares with sliced cucumbers. There was tomato. There was cheese. He brought his own meats. He assembled a sandwich sitting next to me. And I was like, how did you, how did you do that? Are you allowed to do that? And he said, no liquids. <laughs> and then the other thing he did, and this is genius, the other... So he goes through security, and then he gets all the condiments, get it, on the other side of security. The guy had a beautiful sandwich. <laughs> and the other thing about this flight that was remarkable was Michael Bolton has a massive, massive whitehead zit on the back of his neck. I sat behind Michael Bolton on this flight. Like, and it makes it sound like I was in the fancy part. I wasn't. He was behind the curtain, but like that little gap. I was the first row behind first class. And the little gap was just Michael Bolton's zit on his neck. Anyway, we're here. Um, and uh, as Cole said, I, I am one of the, uh, the producers and writers and hosts of a show called This Is That. How many people are familiar with it? Uh, okay, that's good. It would be, this wouldn't work if nobody knew what the show was. So um, every year when we get together to make this show, we all pitch our different story ideas, and a, a lot of them get rejected. Um, just because there's certain rules and you know tones to our show that we have to kind of adhere to. And um, every year I think that there's some really good ones that have been rejected. Uh, personally, mine. Um, <laughs> And I was reading them recently, and I was like, well, okay, so maybe not for this is that. But we're, you know, Canadiana Humor 101. There's maybe another show in here. Another show that could be on CBC Radio that's a similar thing to this is that, but has some kind of nebulous, non-meaning title, too, like uh, As It Twere, or um, <laughs> so on and so forth. So I, I just want to read a couple of things that I think would be good stories on this, because they've been rejected by us at This Is That. And these could be on a new show. And in order to get us in the mood, I think Matt, Matt this is a round of applause for Matt. Um, this might be Matt's most, uh, is this your most challenging technical achievement tonight? Okay. Matt has to press play on a little soundtrack here. Um, and I'll explain this kind of music in a second. Doesn't this feel like every CBC show you grew up with on television? Well, there's a story down there, down the road in Canada. You know, doesn't it have that kind of feel to it? Maybe, can everybody hear it? Oh gosh, there's a little place called the Lido down on Broadway. If you go in there, folks are real nice. That kind of music. I think this is gonna. This music is helping some of these failed premises that never made it to this is that. Okay, here we go. 
I'm going to do it in that voice now. Shoot, here we go. Well, the government... <laughs> well, the government has decided to create a new character in the same vein as Smokey the Bear, but this one's called Prickly the Porcupine. He teaches kids not how, how to not be pricks. <clears throat> what are we calling this show? As it twere? Yes? All right. Today on As It's Twer, or As It's Twer? No. As It Twer. Today on As It Twer. We hear from a group of Americans fighting for the right to watch Grey Cup commercials in the USA. Today on As It's Twer, most Canadians are familiar with the Northern Lights, but have you heard of the Northern Squeal? It's a sound that resembles a screaming man's voice and can be heard across the north for five months. Ow! Today on As It Twer, we meet Tug Kaminsky, Canada's first openly gay monster trucks uh, superstar, who's on a mission to get more young LGBT people interested in crushing cars. That's today on As It's Twer. Today on As It Were, in a recent interview, Pope Francis revealed to be a diehard Ottawa Senators fan. We talked to a cardinal or some shit to find out why. Today on As It Were, the Ontario School Board has started a new class in their high schools. It's called Tim Hortons. Today on As It's Twer, it's changing. See, the name of the show is changing. Uh, we meet a Brandon Manitoba man who's gaining quite a reputation for printing his own money. People seem to like my money, I have as the quote. Okay, that one didn't hit. Okay. Uh, scratch that one off. The, that didn't make This Is That, and it didn't make As It's Twer. Today on As It Were, we hear about a proposed law that would raise Alberta's drinking age to 30. Frankly, that's when most Albertans are ready to make responsible choices. Today on As It Were, we speak to a man who last Friday did the unthinkable. He went to a play. Uh, we find out what it was like. This one's good. You into the song yet? Today on As It Twer, Sleep at the Wheel, there'll be no Juno. <laughs> Let's do that one again. Today on As It Twer, Sleep at the Wheel, there'll be no Juno Awards this year because no one remembered to organize them. Today on As It Twer, we talk to the Corbuck twins to find out why these brothers are skipping across Manitoba to raise awareness about bullying. Let's picture it, two brothers skipping across Manitoba. Today on As It Twer, provincial porno? In an effort to boost revenue, the Ontario government is publishing a porno. Today on As It Were, we interview the last rollerblader in Vancouver. And uh, maybe we'll end with this one. <clears throat> Finally today on As It Were, Canada tries to figure out setting up something like Graceland. Hope you guys listen to the new show as it were. Thank you very much for having me. That's it. That's the show. Thanks again to all the storytellers, Kim Gray, the Lido for having us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Kim Gray's Peroxide Blondes.